Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening and you don't like vocal fry, sorry. Sorry. Sorry about that. Hi guys, welcome to this episode of Slaughter. I'm Lucy. And I'm Emma. You're so teachy that it makes me want to be an annoying, naughty child. I can see in your eyes, you're staring at me like, why are you doing it properly? <laughs> I want to do something funny. Well, do you know what? Some of us have grown up a little bit in the last two weeks. Oh, sorry. I've Assistant been to head. Finland. I've seen things that I would wish I couldn't see. <laughs> what a dirty house. Have you ever been woken up by a cat, literally? Eyeball to eyeball with you. No, I can't say I have. It was terrifying. Who's and that? I- the woman whose cabin it was oh. and I was also like what has this cat been doing while I was unconscious <laughs> if this is what it chooses to do when I wake up like hi <laughs> who knows what it's been up to oh I hate a cat I did hate them and then they snuggle you enough that you do start to love them oh, see I'm allergic so they're not even going to get that over on me I'm going to try that that's going to be my new tactic I'm just going to start be like, allergic nuzzling headbutting people oh. like love me love me Anyway, just do that to our listeners. I'm trying to do that to our <laughs> listeners. I'm trying to orally nuzzle you <laughs> in this episode. Do you want me to count you in for your murder? In a four, three, two. So, <laughs> my... so you have to sing it then, though. One, a two, one, two, three, go. I'm doing the jigsaw murders. It happened a while ago. <laughs> That's some good ad living. Um, right, so. It is. Um, it was called by the press the Jigsaw Murders. Like the Jigsaw Technique. What's Psychology. The it's a way of reducing prejudice and discrimination. Because the Jigsaw Technique in primary school is where if you can't be bothered to teach a lot of things at once, you split the kids into groups, make them learn one thing each, and then feedback. Yeah, it's pretty much what the Jigsaw Technique was, but you put multiple different races in the groups, and then they like each other better. Oh. Basically, the premise is if you get to know people of different races, that you stop being a dick towards oh yeah for sure which is obvious so yeah it's called the jigsaw murder um not for a nice reason but because it was like a bloody jigsaw putting them back together again what the bodies yep oh my god that's a graphic way to name how are we gonna name this murder not unlike the trial method or the way that it was conducted no just the fact that the mess afterwards like, this is the splashback murders. I mean, it could have been called that as well. Oh, God. Because the whole unravelling of this case is really based on the clean-up. <laughs> it it's, seems. This whole case is a massive advert for 
surface wipes. Crime scene investigators. It's another one from my favourite, one of my favourite authors, Kenneth Gibson, hater of fat people. We don't always agree with Kenneth, but he sure is fun along the way. (laughs) And his favourite book that I wrote, Doctors Who Kill. Classic. So um, the hero... He's not the hero. He's definitely not the hero. The murderer. So the protagonist of this tale is Dr. Buck Ruxton. It's a, it's a nice, strong Sounds name. Sounds like a toy. Buck Ruxton. Buck Ruxton. Well, that wasn't his original name. That was his anglicised name. He made that up himself. I don't know who he'd been hanging around with. But he ha- he made that up himself. He was born in India in 1899. And obviously he changed it because when he moved to England to be a doctor and thought, that's how you've got to get ahead. Sounds like a company that sells camping gear. He sounds like a porn star. So he was from quite a wealthy family, obviously, to be travelling around during that period. And he originally moved to England to study medicine. Now, if you remember when I did the case of Thomas Neil Cream who was a doctor who'd originally come from Canada. Yeah. He moved over to the UK. And had to retrain. And had to retrain. He failed the first time, had to retrain, because Edinburgh was sort of the centre of medical excellence at the time, and that's where you wanted your qualification from. And it was the same here, in that that's where Ruxton wanted to be. He wanted to go to Edinburgh and get his qualification there. If you're a Bachelor of Medicine, is it called a Bachelor because they assumed they were all men? So it's basically like saying you're a man of medicine. Is that why they're Ooh, all? I don't know. Do you think I should change mine to a bachelorette of arts? I even like like just woman of arts. Yes, I want to be called a woma. So the same was true of him, though he failed it the first time, but then continued because that's what you wanted if you wanted to be recognised. But in 1927, while he was in Edinburgh, would where he would meet his soon-to-be common-law wife at a restaurant that she managed. Which is kind of cute, but how often do you have to eat in the same restaurant for, like, cop off with the manager? Mm. You've got to be going there a lot. So she was called Isabella Kerr. At the time, she was known as Isabella Van S because she had married a Dutch sailor when she was 18, but then later divorced. Because, what do you know at 18? Yeah, true. So she was 26 at the time that she met Dr. Ruxton, and he was 28. But the reason she became his common-law wife was because he had married a girl back in India and he didn't obviously want to divorce his first wife because his family would have kicked up a right stink about it. So he'd had a little sort of pseudo-ceremony with Isabella and then they started living together as man and wife. That's very progressive. I know, right? Well, they're a bit shit if you're his first wife. Yeah, true. So after initially moving to London... By 1930, they'd settled in Lancaster, where they had a house-slash-practice, which for a doctor seems one of the worst ones that you want to bring home, but he had a surgery in his downstairs, and he would do some sort of minor surgeries too, which I just think is icky. Mm, But it was number two Dalton Square. It's a lovely little place. Um, They did have three children together, and after their first child was born, Elizabeth... Obviously, a nice family like that can't be dealing with your own snotty bastards. So they hired a girl called Mary Rogerson to come and live in the house and sort of be maid and nanny. And when she first arrived, she was only 18 years old. 
but it said that she had such a cheerful nature that she was able to stay on and be well-liked in the house despite other members of staff coming and going, often complaining about the poor wages. Oh. How many staff are they employing, though? It was quite a big house, so they would have... He would have people employed in the surgery too. Like, he, he was obviously the doctor, and then he would maybe have someone come and help with the surgery. They right. had a cook. They had Mary Rogerson, sort of nanny. Oh, they had um, another sort... They had a charwoman who would come and do, like, cleaning and things, but she would come every day and then go home. Um, and they had other odd people come and go. I always find it weird when one person in a couple doesn't work, and that yet you still get stuff in. What would you do? You're looking fabulous is what you're doing. Another reason that life is difficult for the staff in this household is basically the number of arguments that the couple were having. He was incredibly jealous and their arguments became so heated that police had to be called to the house on at least two occasions. Oh my God. He was not happy. There is nothing worse than a jealous partner. Yeah. And, well, Kenneth, of course, because he's a bit of a judgmental bastard, says that Isabella wasn't that good-looking and so she would flirt with anyone to make up for it. So he's blaming her, really, saying that because she was ugly, she had to... I love how he's, like, projecting onto that. I really want to see what Kenneth looks like. Yeah. But that's what he said. And Ruxton would often suspect Isabella of having an affair and then he would sometimes follow her, he would keep confronting her, which is a bit rich considering... uh, Which is a bit rich considering that he has a wife. Yeah. Um, But, so, yeah. Kenneth did describe as being physically unattractive. I just thought I'd say that that was his words. Soz Kenneth. So their relationship is one of those where it was like really passionate and toxic. Mm. Like sort of they were trapped in this cycle of drama and the neighbours would complain about the noise from their screaming and it's thought that maybe Isabella enjoyed the drama a little bit with the excitement that she could have by causing a fight and then the making up. Like, I mean, if she had nothing else to do really, it seems like. I was in a relationship like that and it was... It was a weird one because it used to drive me nuts because he'd be so jealous and we'd argue about it. But also, in some ways, we were really close. Mm-hmm. And it was never violent or... But I, he was too jealous. But I can see how you'd get sucked into that because it's exciting. Yeah. But Ruxton, he wasn't playing lightly. So where she might have found excitement in it, I think that would probably dampened slightly by the fact that he would threaten to kill her oh god no. um he would take out knives he said he would do it. i'll do it with these knives he, i'll do it with the revolver i've got at home <gasps> that's a step beyond and he was also reported as saying to one of the maids after isabella had watched she packed up some clothes and left one time he said i'm gonna bring her back to the mortuary dun, dun, dun. and then following a fight where the police had been called he was super, super angry, still enraged, and he said to the policeman, I feel like murdering two people. My wife is going out to meet a man. Oh, and he just off. plainly said to him, I'm going to kill people. Oh, my God. So, by late 1931, the Ruxtons, they were living separately, but in the same house. So, Mrs. Ruxton began sleeping in the room where her children were, and the other two bedrooms were Dr. Ruxton and then Mary Rogerson, the nanny. So around this same time, Mrs. Jeannie Nelson was the widowed sister of Isabella Ruxton. 
and she was contacted by the doctor and to inform her that Isabella had tried to kill herself by gassing herself. So her sister obviously came straight round, arrived to Lancaster, but Isabella told her that it wasn't a suicide attempt, it had been an accident. But I don't quite know how you accidentally gas it. Because I assumed at gassing yourself that they did a Sylvia Plath. Yeah. Head in the oven. Yeah. So I don't know how you accidentally do that unless you're checking on the cake for... Left the gas on, ...a long amount of heart. time. But he went absolutely crazy, the fact that she was saying, I hadn't committed suicide. Again, I'm not quite sure why he would want her to have done that. But mm. he was really, really mad. And he smacked Isabella in the face... And demanded that she told her sister the truth. Ugh. Well, he's pleasant, isn't he? But Isabella, I mean, to her testament, she stuck to her story. No matter how weird it was, she refused to say this was a suicide attempt. But the argument about it just became completely unbearable. So she asked her sister if she could come back with her and the children to live in Edinburgh. She sounds like she's, although it's a bit of a volatile relationship. She's not just one of those women who's just going to roll over and take it. No. She is, she's going to fight her, her corner and then, thankfully, she's going to get out. I mean, and luckily for her, as common-law wife, she's got options. Yeah. Like, she could leave him and he's not really got any legal hold over her yeah. at this point. That's probably maybe another reason why, as a possessive person... He became so jealous and so angry because... She could just go He off. knew that she yeah. could actually just leave. Um, so he was still mad that when she said she was going to go to stay with his sister, and he said that if she left, that he would cut the throats of the lot of them. But she left anyway, which she would. Yeah. <laughs> so well would. done. And you should. Exactly. But... The mistake she made was that it wasn't a permanent move and oh. after a few weeks she was back in the family home. So now we're in 1934 where there was another instance of violence when Isabella had attempted to leave and this time she showed up at her sister Jeannie's house without the children and said that she completely despised Lancaster, she despised her husband, she wasn't going back. But this time, Dr. Ruxton wasn't letting her make that decision. And he'd followed her to Edinburgh and he managed to plead with her, basically saying, you've left the children, like, I need you to come back because I won't be able to cope with them on my own. We're not going to manage without you. They need you. That guilt trip. Yes. So 1935, the 14th of September... Isabella had gone up to Blackpool to see her two sisters, Jeannie and... Rando sister. Not important. Not important. Uh, to see the illuminations. Oh. Uh, yeah. I've been there. Been there a few times. It was delightful. Yeah. Just, just lights. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> and she arrived home uh, later that night around 12 to around midnight, but that would be the last time that Isabella Ruxton was seen alive. So we can't be sure exactly what happened because she didn't live to tell the tale. There was one other witness to this event. That was Mary Rogerson. But she would also lose her life <gasps> that night as well. No. So it wouldn't be weird for Isabella coming home late to prompt an argument. That was something that was often happening. And it wasn't unusual for Ruxton to threaten to kill her because he'd done that before. So something obviously happened this time and she ended up being strangled. So it's likely that Mary Rogerson had 
noticed something was different this time. Possibly the fact that the argument suddenly went silent yeah. when she died. Or that she heard some more violent noises to, than before. But she came in and saw them. So what we do know is that Ruxton wouldn't let a witness go free. So he smashed Mary's head with a blunt instrument before stabbing her to death. So, but killing, yeah. I mean, killing Mary wouldn't solve all his problems because there were some potential witnesses to the crime who were upstairs sleeping through the slaughter. Children. Elizabeth, six, Diane, four, and Billy, two. Aww. So his only option to avoid being caught was to try and dispose of these bodies now without arousing any suspicion. So because his doctor's surgery was downstairs in his house, he had access to some tools and... I was going to say weapons, but... <laughs> like, this is my doctor's weapon. <laughs> Although I always think that when they say about lancing off something, you know, like lancing a boil. Lancing uh... a boil. I always imagine, like, a huge machete like you use to cut a champagne bottle. <laughs> oh, my God, I just made myself, myself sound really middle class then. You know the sword you use when you're popping champagne? <laughs> that we always use. I've only done it one time. Jesus Christ. When did you do it? To be fair, it's my brother-in-law's family. Oh, they're the posh ones. Just knifing bottles all the time. <laughs> and knifing bottles, like, religiously. Like they were constantly sweeping up glass. <laughs> um, so he did have access to some tools, but obviously nothing really quite adequate. I mean, it wasn't like barber surgeons where they would just have a huge saw for lopping off a leg. It was basically scalpels and things that yeah, he had. getting rid of skin tags instead. But, so he had no real choice. He had to dismember the bodies. Was his plan. I just had to. So he began dismembering two adult women's bodies using a scalpel. So he did this in his bedroom and in the bathroom. And he was working all night through to the morning. It was a mammoth task. And you talk about doing something in the heat of the moment, a crime of passion. But that would have worn off pretty fucking... Like, a few... Surely it can't last a few... Ten hours of slicing bodies with a scalpel. You're going to wake up surely your adrenaline's gonna have gone but obviously the panic was what carried him through so he had this obviously strong survival instinct he felt like he had to do it to keep going and he must have been able to keep calm and have some calculation despite this horror right i mean i guess that's what he does to an extent it's not he's not a layman is he he's dealt with bodies like he's not squeamish yeah yeah but i mean he took it a step further in that he obviously realised some of the ways now that pathologists were using to identify bodies. Mm. And so he started to mutilate them to make sure they couldn't be identified. Oh, like so fingers. Fingertips were all cut off. Um, Mary had a, an eye defect, so he gouged her eyes oh out. God. His wife had quite protruding teeth that recognisable, so he pulled her teeth out oh. to, so they couldn't use dental records. Scars on the body, so Mary had an appendix scar cut that out his wife also had i mean she sounds delightful but she also had quite a distinctive nose <laughs> so he cut the nose off oh doing God. absolutely everything he could so that these bodies could not be identified but even though he had some surgical skill there's no one who could carry out that job without leaving an absolutely horrendous mess yeah like cut everywhere you there's no calm clean way to do that job no. everywhere he'd even cut himself um, during the act on the hand so he was bleeding quite a lot mm. 
um, as well. So the clean-up was now the priority. He yeah. hadn't really got rid of the bodies. All he'd done was make the most <laughs> ridiculous crime scene that anyone could have walked into. Mm. So he wasn't going to be able to do this unless he could stop the arrival of his charwoman, Mrs. Oxley, who was coming at 7.15 that morning. So... <laughs> So he locked his kids in their bedroom while they were asleep. And at 6.30 that morning, he was at the door of Mr and Mrs Oxley, which he'd never done before. He'd never not asked her to come in. Because basically her job was just to show up in the mornings, do the fires, do some cleaning and leave. So there was no reason why she would ever not come yeah. round. So they were really surprised that he was at their door. Especially th- to come over. If yeah. you don't want someone to come round... Tell them when they get there. Yeah, it seems so extra. Like, if I didn't want to see you, I wouldn't drive to your house knocking on the door and say, Lucy, I can't come out tonight. I've already <laughs> wasted so much time coming to visit you. Yeah. Um, but he said, but his excuse for going was saying to say that he didn't need her. His wife had gone to Edinburgh and he was going to be going and taking the kids to Morecambe that day, so there'd be no one in. Ruxton then went to two garages near, that weren't his local ones to buy four gallons of petrol from each one. His plan being, if I go to different ones, I won't be recognised. Yeah. But he's the only Indian doctor in 1930s Lancaster. So everybody knew who he was. So now he needs to get rid of the children, really, so that he can keep cleaning. They can't just walk into the bathroom, bedroom, even his surgery downstairs. So he took them to a dentist friend of his, Herbert Anderson. I say he took them to the dentist. Fun day out, kids. They love that. Snap dentist. Do you go to the dentist? No, never. That's awful, isn't it? I hate to I sign up for the dentist. That made it sound like I asked it because I know it's something I do. <laughs> I haven't. I'm only asking because my mum and dad have just said that they're not going to book my dentist appointments for me anymore. <laughs> right, shit. Sure, that's to... why I've not gone in 10 years because no one's been doing it for me. I'm going to have to ring the actual dentist. Only because I want I'm going to have to speak on the phone to a human. So anyway, if you'd have had a nice dentist friend, you might have been popping around there all the time. But Ruxton did, and he took the children there and said that his wife and his maid had gone to Scotland for a few days. But the dentist noticed this cut on Ruxton's hand. It was all bandaged up, so he had a look at it, and he noticed that it was completely clean, but right down to the bone. So Ruxton said, oh, I did it with a tin opener. <laughs> to the bone. Well, cutting open a I, tin I of fruit. I tried to open my hand. I want to see what's inside. <laughs> so now he realised that he wasn't really managing to clean up well on his own. He knew it was going to take far too long. So what, he, if he'd still had Mary? <laughs> exactly. So he needed another Mary to take her place. So he went to the home of a patient, uh, Mary Hampshire, and asked her to come and help because he'd injured his hand and need a clean-up job. He started to lose track of his story. And this time he said that his wife had gone to Blackpool and his maid was had gone on holiday for a week or so. So he took her home and said, could you clean the bathroom? And so she tried to clean it. She said there were really dark yellow stains in the bath and they just weren't fading. So she was like, we need more people to come and help us. Oh my God. And so... Ruxton eventually agreed to let her husband, Mr. Hampshire, come and help. Is that what happens when you can't get rid of blood? It goes yellow. Like when you spill curry and you don't clean up straight away, then you get a yellow stain. Mm. But sunlight breaks it down. Oh, really? Yeah. 
So Brixton had locked the room where he'd hidden the bodies, his bedroom, and then he left the house with the Hampshires both cleaning so he could go and fetch the children as he'd arranged. Now, what would you do if you've been invited to the fancy doctor's house to clean and he's left you on your own? Go through his shit. Of course you would. Like, people are probably going through my phone as we speak. Oh, God, yeah. There's no way they're not. (laughs) They so are. I mean, even as a kid, if I was like upstairs on my own for any length of time, straight in my brother's, sister's bedroom, through all the drawers, yeah. anything. I no respect through, for privacy. Rifle through my parents' bedside tables. I mean, yes. I, that is somewhere I should not be. At least it's a universal thing. They had nothing. They had teeth impressions. I was like, what are these teeth impressions? They're so cool. I don't know what I was hoping to find. Maybe we did find dildos, we just didn't know what they were. At one point, I was really seriously convinced that I was going to discover that I was adopted and have new parents. <laughs> it's because I'd read so much Jacqueline Wilson and every person in her books was like in foster care or yeah. found out they were adopted and I was like thought it was so glamorous that maybe I had been fostered as a you child. You look identical to your brother and your parents. I know, there's not a chance. No way. I'm practically cloned. Like, yeah. <laughs> So um, they snooped as well. Yeah. The Hampshire was like, of course, we're going yeah. for a look around. So they noticed that the bedroom door was locked when they tried to get in. And there was straw coming out from underneath the door, which she tried to, like, pick it up and pull it. But there was too much straw. So he'd obviously packed the room with the straw, possibly to soak up the blood, oh. you know, to stop the smell getting out. They then went outside for a little look about in the yard. The carpets from the surgery had all been taken up. And they were outside in the yard where they were absolutely covered in blood. Really badly stained. They also found some shirts and towels that were blood-stained, soaked in petrol and partially burned. So he tried to set them on fire and hadn't quite finished the job. Um, I mean, he was... They weren't really suspicious. What? Two people missing and there's a hell of a lot of blood. I mean, at this point, it's still the first day. Yeah. So they haven't, they've not been missing for long. They haven't seen them. And the fact that things have got blood on them, his house is his doctor's surgery. Yeah, so no. I couldn't find out who exactly they were, but a husband and wife cleaning team, like emergency cleaning <laughs> Sounds team. Sounds like a sitcom way I don't know what their real jobs were, but they were way too eager to give up their Sunday to go and... Sounds like the greatest... Give up their Saturday to go and clean. Greatest crime scene cleanup show ever. Yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Hampshire, nosy as fuck, but love scrubbing blood. Like, that's their two best things. You're like, ooh, my husband would love this. <laughs> if it was the show, that would be definitely the setup where they'd be like, oh, you've got a clean up? We bring in Mary Hampshire, she's the expert, da da da. And then religiously, halfway through the show, they're like, this is too big, what should we do? Bring in the husband! Yeah. <laughs> the big, like, how. But you've got the bounce of her kind of moaning on at him as yes. well. Like every kitchen nightmares where Gordon Ramsay's like, we can do it. And then halfway through he's like, we're going to have to refurbish. Like you do it every episode. We yeah. know you're refurbishing the restaurant. That's Why are you planned, pretending? Planned months ago. So the husband is the refurb. He comes in. Yeah. This done. Well, I think we should make the show. Ready to, we don't know any I need... husband and wife cleaning duos. No. So when Ruxton got to the Andersons, the dentist that they were staying, the children were staying with, they actually said they can sleep over. Which, again, I thought was weird, because either they're, like, creepy desperate to have children stay. <laughs> three as well. Yeah. Three under the age of, what, six, which is, is a handful. Ha- or they're worried about the children. 
<laughs> I'm really surprised that a last minute drop off at your house and they're like, sure, let them stay over. But he's not, is he dropping them off and hanging out or is he dropping them off and, bye? He's dropping them off and going and cleaning blood. Yeah. But this time he went back to collect them and said, oh, well, let them just stay the night. So he was like, fine, I'll go home, I'll get their night clothes. And on his way back, he stopped at Mary Rogerson's parents' house. And when he was there, he told their lodger that Mary's gone to Scotland on holiday and I've given her wages to her sister. So if that's why you don't hear from her, that's where she is. So he came home to the Cleaning Hampshires. We need to think of a witty title for the TV show. But he came home to the pair of them. And to show his gratitude for their whole day of cleaning, he offered to take home with them the bloodstained carpets and a bloodstained suit jacket <laughs> that he had for free. Oh, bless Completely that. free. But they were like, okay. He said the jacket had blood on from his injured hand and they, some of the carpets didn't have as much blood on, but they just were like, yes, gimme. That's what I mean. I don't know what their situation was. They were happy to clean and happy to take bloody carpets as payment. So <laughs> they're definitely an interesting couple. I'd like to know more. Just their house is the poorest shit, but they've got carpets everywhere. Yeah. Slightly stained. Let me roll out the red carpet. Used to be white. <laughs> so they worked there till 9.30 at night. Ruxton went to take his children clothes and then just decided... Well, should we all go see the Blackpool Illuminations? Again. Again. So he took the kids and the Andersons and they just hung out, had a nice time. Why are your kids not coming home to sleep with you? If you're going out late at night, why are you like, fine, you take my children home? I think it's that thing of he's like, my wife's away. How could I possibly look after the children as a man? I honestly think that it was just like understood, oh, if your wife's not here, there's no way you can manage. You'll be feeding them cables and sawdust. <laughs> it's hard to know exactly when, but it's thought that this night he took his first lot of body parts, wrapped up in packages, and drove to Moffat to dispose of them in a river. Because then the next morning, when Mrs. Oxley, the charwoman, arrived for work, there was nobody at home, no car, nothing. So he obviously hadn't really come back. Um, so she left. At 9am... Ruxton burst into the house of the Hampshires, just walked straight in. He hadn't shaved, he hadn't changed his clothes, and he said, I've not slept because my hand that I've injured is infected now. And could you give me back the suit I gave you because I'm going to go and clean it? They said no, not because they were suspicious, but because they thought if we give him back this expensive suit... We're not going to see it again. He obviously wants it because he regrets his decision. So they refused to give it back. So he said, can you then cut out the label and burn it so I can see you've done it? They were a little bit freaked out by this (laughs) Um... and said, maybe it's time to call your wife and get her to come home. So he said, I don't want to disturb her holiday. Could Mrs. Hampshire come and help me again? Because I'm obviously struggling. And she said, yes. So he went home. And Mrs. Oxley had returned again. And this time she came in and did all her chores, cleaning up and left at 12 o'clock, apart from the locked bedroom. So not long after, Mrs. Hampshire arrived at the house and was like, there's nothing for me here to do. Mrs. Oxley has clearly been and done all the main jobs. And Ruxton said, you're not here for that. You're here to give me courage. 
And this time he said to her... Is that his euphemism for sex? I don't think so. I think he's literally losing the plot and really can't hide it. Yeah. But he said, my wife's gone to London. No reason to change his story, but she's gone. He's having a breakdown. Yeah. Mrs. Hampshire, in what limited capacity she could, started to put things together. She's now got, in her possession, a bloodstained carpet, a bloodstained jacket... He's shown up at her house, not slept, looking a fucking mess, and all the women in the house have disappeared. Yeah. She's still not sure it's murder, (laughs) but she did say to him, I don't think you're telling me the truth about this. So then Ruxton burst into tears and said to her, you're right, I'm not telling you the truth. What's really happened is my wife's left me. Which seemed to satisfy Mrs. Hampshire's like, oh... I knew you weren't telling the truth, but now it's the yeah. truth. Like, you told me a thing, fine. What's What's the blood for, though? Not bothered. He's <laughs> confided can in I, me. Can I, as long as I can keep it. Yeah. So that night, Ruxton took his Hillman car, which is, I think, I believe a two-seater. It's a smallish car. He took his Hillman car into the garage to get serviced. And he took like a replacement car, which was an Austin, so a slightly bigger thing. And as he was driving the Austin, he met a family friend, Bobby Edmondson. Okay. And he told Bobby Edmondson that his wife was away in Scotland with the children and had taken the Hillman. I mean, he's not bright. I mean, the, yeah. your kids are coming back. I don't know why he felt to lie about it. And why tell them that she's gone in your car? Why not? When you've got your car. Yeah, the Hillman's in for being serviced. So we obviously asked, where's your car? And he said, oh, my wife and kids have gone to Scotland. But he's going to pick his car up and his wife's not going to come back. So he didn't need to tell that lie. He could have said, it's in the garage and she took the train. Yeah. But it's that panicking, just mm. on his feet. So he told. So this is the story, another contradictory story he told. So the next day, driving this hire car, he hit a cyclist oh in Kendall and panicked and just drove straight off. But the cyclist, I mean, cars weren't driving that fast. The cyclist managed to get the number and call the police. So the police immediately came to Ruxton and questioned him about it. And he was really, really distressed and said that he'd been returning from a work trip to Carlisle. But he'd been seen dropping his kids off at nine in the morning at school. So there was no way he'd have been able to get to Carlisle and back again in the time that he'd said what would be more likely is that he'd been on his way back from Moffat, dropping off more body parts. Right. But the creepy thing about that was that he would have done that journey with his youngest child, Billy, in the car with him. That night, some witnesses saw a huge fire lit in Ruxton's yard, and it burned for several hours. But he denied ever having a fire later. So during the rest of the week, other people that are employed in the house start to notice things. A cook had been ill when the murders had taken place. She'd come back to work and straight away she was like, things are different. She noticed a bloodstain on the curtains. So Ruxton chopped it off and burnt the bloodstained bit. He's <laughs> got a wacky great hole in his skirt. I mean, this is, he's just like, I'm not a practical man. What do you expect of me? And just said, use the rest of the curtains as rags. Like, fuck it off then. Like... I've had enough with cleaning forever. Yeah. So his his car then was returned from service 
And the employees noticed that he was then started carrying several heavy packages from his bedroom to the car. But the servants in the house, once he'd left and the room was now unlocked, they immediately started to smell a rather horrid stench come from the bedroom. And when they had a little nosy inside, because you're gonna, they found some blood-stained cotton wool and some remains of charred travelling cases. But they thought, meh. What do we know? What do we know about anything? It's probably fine. The fact that he's a doctor and his yeah. surgery in his house is letting him get away with a lot. Like a bit of blood here and there. Even these huge amounts of blood, they're not immediately jumping to murder. Yeah. I mean, he was quite well liked in the community. He's quite, he's quite a good looking guy. He's obviously intelligent and he apparently had a really nice bedside manner. A lot of people loved him in the community. So he wasn't some sort of mean doctor that they thought was capable of it, despite the arguments he had with his wife. I think a lot of people like Kenneth were blaming his wife and yeah. for the arguments. Like, if she didn't do go out, he wouldn't get angry with her. If she wasn't a flirt, he wouldn't be violent. That sort of attitude, mm. which is completely disgusting. Yeah. Like, he shouldn't be a violent bastard. <laughs> Just don't be violent. Just don't threaten to kill people. So that night he had another fire in the yard and this time he was burning the belongings of both women so that it would make the fact that they'd left seem more plausible. The midwife called him that night and was said, could he come and assist in a birth? But he said he couldn't because of his, he'd injured his hand in his car. But I don't know what kind of car he's driving that he slices his hand on it. Also, pick a story and stick to it. Exactly. You don't have to rethink anything. Just stay saying the same thing. As Judge Judy says, if you tell the truth, you don't have to have a good memory. (laughs) And he clearly doesn't. So this midwife, she then called in on him the next day to see, well, what's going on. But not wanting to deal with the situation, he just ran out of the room. (laughs) goodbye complete napoleon dynamite oh god (laughs) just left so it's now friday so saturday to friday and he's just unraveling as far as someone can unravel before being caught bobby edmondson the guy that's seen him driving the austin car then noticed the hillman parked back outside his house so he went and said oh yeah she's back how's everything and he said oh no she's in london now and had forgotten that He'd said that she'd driven the car to Scotland because how the fuck was she going to get... No, stop back and go to London. Just get the drive home, then take the train. Of course not. He then visited a patient who happened to be a friend of the maid, Mary Rogerson. She was called Miss Philbrook. And he said that I've taken Mary to Scotland so she can have an illegal abortion. Basically, he was thinking there's such a stigma around abortion. If I mention that, it'll do what it did then. And everyone will just go, oh, and stop asking questions, is what he hoped. But really, the opposite happened. And that because it was such a scandal, everyone then started gossiping about the house and wanting to know what is going on there. Apparently, the maids had an abortion. Did you hear? Where is she? Have you seen her? Do you think she was pregnant? Who was it? All it did was just cause interest. Mm. So by the 24th of September, so 10 days later, the whisperings around the town, it was like a telltale heart situation. Like They were driving him to distraction. So if people are pissing you off with their gossip, you stamp your foot, you go to the town hall and you complain that people are gossiping about you. 
If you're in Gilmore Girls. Which is exactly what he did. I think it might have been that sort of situation. I mean, I don't know what you expect the council to do about it, but... Clearly they had some sort of recourse. I mean, he was absolutely hysterical and unwittingly he burst in on a room where an inspector was, a police inspector, and he started ranting that people were accusing him of having killed Mrs. Smalley. This was a woman who was found dead in Morecambe, a nearby town, not long ago. How did anyone accuse him of it? Not at this point. (laughs) Everyone's accusing me of murder and just say a different murder. Yeah. The inspector tried to calm him down, but Ruxton was just continuing to ramble on and just saying stupid stuff, saying, my carpets have been lifted. If you want to come to my house and search it, you can. Search my house and improve it. Um, He also said, and if you think my wife's gone, she left me a note. You can see the note. There was no note. He's lost it. Yeah. So again, his thing was like a double bluff. He went to the police again the next day to say, look, people are saying I've killed Mrs. Smalley. Come and investigate me and you'll see that I've not killed her. Thinking that they won't. Thinking that if they come and search his house and say, oh, he's definitely not killed Mrs. Smalley, then people will think he's definitely not killed anyone. So then when they start saying maybe he's killed his wife. Yes. They'll just forget that. Yeah, that's his plan. He's thinking if they see, I've not, if I say that I've killed her and they don't see I have, then no one will suspect that my wife has been murdered. Yeah. Sort of thing. I mean, your face says it all. <laughs> it's not going to work. All it did no. is make the police interested in him. Yeah. And start to look at him. Stop banding around murder in your own name. It's not going to help your cause. Exactly. So, Ruxton, I mean, he's just flitting from idea to idea. He then goes to the home of Mary Rogerson's parents again. And to say, look, she's not come back because I took her to Scotland for this abortion. So they were like, well, you can't just drop out she had an abortion and say nothing. Who was it? Yeah. Like, where's he come from? Because Mary was obviously a really lovely girl. That's why she'd stayed. And he had no details. All he could say was, oh, it was a laundry boy. And they obviously wanted to who is it? Like shotgun marriage whatever he couldn't tell them anything so mary's father was having absolutely none of it and he said look if you can't bring her to us i'm going to report her missing to the police because you're just bullshitting yeah good on him so rixton panicked and said look i'm going to bring her home tomorrow safe and sound why what's he going to do just stitching himself up tomorrow rolls around a lot faster than you think (laughs) it's going to oh it's like when luke's late and he says i'll be there I'll be there in ten minutes. I'm just leaving now, and he's not. And he knows in ten minutes he's not going to be there. He does but do that. So, Ruxton's digging his hole. The next day did roll around. This is now a Sunday, and Mary obviously didn't appear. But what did appear was the first of the body parts were found in Moffat. So a lady who was on holiday was going out for a stroll in the town, and she stopped on a bridge and looked over and noticed that there was a package floating underneath the bridge, which what appeared to have a protruding human arm from it. He then started to look around a little bit and saw there were a number of parcels in cloth and newspaper, and she'd called her brother, they'd both gone down, they'd called the police, and they found loads of these packages. They found... This is going to be a bit grim. They found two human heads wrapped in a baby's romper suit. They found a human torso and about 17 chunks of flesh in another package. They found a package that had a blouse wrapped up and had two upper arms 
inside it. A pillowcase had two thigh bones and two upper arm bones and other bits of tissue. The discoveries of more body parts would keep coming for the next couple of weeks. Apparently there'd been some sort of like flash flood in the area so all the stuff had been, the water had risen and then when it went these packages were sort of on the riverbanks now just where he thought where people were finding them. So, obviously, the struggle to piece together these things meant... Like a jigsaw. Gave it the jigsaw murders. But it also meant not only could they not identify who they were, originally they struggled to identify what it was, how many people it was. They assumed, when they first reported it, that it was a man and a woman's body that they found because they hadn't got all of the organs yet to determine who it was. So that morning when the news broke in the paper... Ruxton called Mrs Oxley, the charwoman, over and to look at the newspapers showing her. He was really delighted, really giddy, and said, look, they found a body of a man and a woman, so it can't be our two. <laughs> so at the time, she thought, oh, he's just relieved it's not the body of his wife. Yeah. But apparently he knew that she was on holiday in Scotland, so why is he thinking that she could yeah. have been murdered? And obviously the real reason is that he's just giddy that his plans worked. Yeah. A little creepy. So, the 1st of October, the Rogersons went to the police and reported their daughter missing. The 4th of October, Ruxton thought, I'd better jump on this bandwagon and report my wife missing. Mm. So he did. And then when the police came to ask him some questions, he really got into this role and he began to slag her off completely. He went on and on about how awful she was to have left him with the children, not sending any word, a disgusting woman, a callous woman. He said that she was having an affair with Bobby Edmondson. He knows where she is. You should be following him. You should be asking him. Really chucking it out there. So... He continued during this interview to insist that they search the house and that they eliminate him from the Smalley murder case, which just exasperated the officer. He's like, why do you keep bringing up this other murder? No one's talking about it except you. Yeah. All it's doing is making us suspicious. He continued to spread rumours about her. He thought the the way to do this is to make her look the bad guy. He started spreading things that she'd gone to Birmingham to meet a man, that she had gambling debts anything he could think of. What started to really get him, though, was parts of the body that were found had been wrapped in a newspaper called the Sunday Graphic. And this was a local paper. And the specific edition, it was called a slip issue, where they had some very specific local stories, so they only printed it for a very small area on that occasion. So it was normally for a northern paper, but this slip issue was just for, like, Morecambe and Lancaster. Um, So now the police knew that these bodies are linked to somebody in the Lancaster area specifically. So photos of the clothes were printed in the newspaper. Now, we've talked to this before, Get bespoke clothing. Yeah. <laughs> Write your name in your clothing because Mary Rogerson's mother knew straight away those were her daughter's clothes. Really? So, Ruxton's charade just continued. He decided to plan a trip to see his wife in Edinburgh. So he told the servant, right, can you pack up her best clothes in a suitcase because I'm going to go and take them to her. He then left for the train station and one of the maids said, oh, you've left the suitcase behind? And he was like, oh, I can't be bothered to go back for it now. So he just went without the clothes anyway, which was supposedly the whole purpose of him going to see her. So where the fuck he was going, I don't even know. He did go and stay with a woman and said, 
you know, has Isabella been here? Things like that, but obviously she hadn't. Mm. On his return, he got back to the station on a 3.50am train. Now, at the time in Lancaster, it was procedure for a police officer to meet any train that arrived in the early hours because obviously there's no CCTV, there's not loads of members of the public around, it's not really the safest um, place, so they would always have a police officer for any nighttime, early morning trains. But Ruxton didn't know that, so when he got off the train and saw a police officer was on the platform, he panicked and thought, oh my God, they've got me. Yeah. So he immediately did what he's been doing this whole time, which was, oh my God, I'm so glad you're here. Like, um, I just want to tell you about my wife's missing and did it and just rambled on. He said, Bobby Edmondson's the one, go talk to Bobby Edmondson. He knows about it. And the guy's just, like, I'm just doing my job, mate. <laughs> yes, this office is only here to watch the trains. Okay. Like, okay, some guy's come on me going on and on about his wife and so just led to more suspicions he then went to the hampshire's house the cleaning superstars and insisted they burn everything he'd given them. burn it all burn it all i mean he should have done that in the first place not give yeah. it away but no he insisted they burn it all but they were like are you fucking kidding me they were like sure we'll do it just get out of my house so then he continued to panic. He was accusing more people. He was going around to local businesses, place accusing them of accusing him of murder. He demanded that the police release a statement saying that there weren't any links between the bodies that had been found and the missing women. And they said, sure, we'll do it when we know that's the case. Yeah. No one was linking, apart from the Mary Rogerson clothes were later identified by her mum, nobody was really linking those things together they didn't know the women were dead so him bringing it up yeah, is just he's, just he's making the links he's a hot mess he's a hot mess so yeah by this point they had discovered that the bodies were two women they'd found some lopped off breasts Aww. pretty horrid so he then met a news of the world reporter this is the 12th of october he met a news of the world reporter and he handed him a sealed letter with instructions not to open it until his death. Unless I go to trial and they find me not guilty and then can you give me a back, please? <laughs> Which is the he's most suspicious way to do he's it. He's overthinking all of this. Yep. But bizarrely, the reporter was like, okay. <laughs> How can the reporter not open it as soon as oh, he's I would outside? definitely open it. If yeah. he said, and if I found not guilty, I want it back, you know it's proving his guilt yeah. in there. Oh, I would have looked. That would be open by the But isn't that terrible to think that I'm worse than a News of the World <laughs> reporter? Yeah. Like, we'll listen to the voicemails of a missing girl, but we won't open a letter <laughs> proving someone who's actually guilty. Like, we only invade the privacy of victims. <laughs> it's a bizarre moral code that I'm not quite on board with. So that evening, the police called in Ruxton to help with inquiries. And so he was like, yes, brilliant. I love rambling about this. He was interviewed all night long. And after he'd signed his statement in the morning, they charged him with the murder of Mary Rogerson. He was kept in custody. And then on the 5th of November, he was charged with the murder of his wife. He was still so confident in his cleaning skills that he kept saying to police, go and search my house, go and search my house and look for evidence, thinking they'll find nothing. And then it'll be like, I told you to go. But he was wank at cleaning. They found blood stains everywhere. There's also holes in all the curtains and shit. Exactly. They also checked the drains and found human fat in the drains. Oh so, his trial began 2nd of March 1936 in Manchester. 
And originally they tried him only for the murder of his wife. So then if he was acquitted, they like, well, now we'll try you for the murder of right. Mary Rogerson. So the prosecution in total called 113 witnesses. I was going to say, every fucker was there. Everyone in the town has heard him say stupid things. Everyone's got a different story or of where his wife around, was. Or had him turn up at their door. Or... <laughs> He's like one of those annoying charity workers that come to your door in yeah. the middle of the day. But except to say, I'm not guilty of a murder. Yeah. <laughs> Can I come in? Can Definitely. I come in and prove to you that I'm not a murderer? <laughs> no. So they called 113 and they took eight and a half days to testify. The only defence witness was Dr. Ruxton. <laughs> However, it was still essential that they could identify these bodies in order to prove that he'd done anything. Bizarrely, despite the fact that he'd tried to slice off the fingertips, a couple of them had been left. They also used... Oh, what, I'm doing my surgery. <laughs> no. <laughs> His attention to detail is shocking, considering the amount of bloodstains they still managed to find in the house. Yeah. Both him and the Hampshire's attention to detail. And Mrs. Oxley, who apparently is a cleaner. No one is this good. His house is either too big or his staff is too lazy. <laughs> yeah. At the time, it was revolutionary um, skull reconstruction, sort of, Wow. Two, so they could make a picture. What they then did, which is really interesting if you look at it in line, they took a picture of the skull and they managed to get a photograph of Isabella Ruxton with her head, just her head, it was like her wearing a tiara, from the same angle and they got the oh. scale to match so they could overlay them. Like in Fred and Rose with the tea. Yeah, and they could see that the skull clearly belonged to her because it was a perfect match. They also then picked out points where Mary Rogerson had had an appendix scar. Look, this pers- this appendix scar has been removed. Um, she also had a prominent scar on her thumb. This person has had something cut away from their thumb. So even though he tried yeah. to get rid of the identifying things, they were sort of noticeable by their absence. Yeah. So if there's a huge hole where you had a tattoo, like, <laughs> you took his tattoo. So the on Isabella's body, the tongue and the lungs showed evidence that she had died from asphyxiation. But then the prosecution noted that the normal telltale areas of that are the eyes and the lips, because obviously you have a lot of blood vessels that burst. He knew that eyes and lips are the main places yeah. they'll look. So he'd removed those. Yeah. So the prosecution then said, well, clearly someone with medical knowledge has done this, yeah. because they don't want us to find the cause of death. They then, this is my favourite one, it's a little bit icky, but they were looking for the time of death. Mm. So they compared maggots that were found in the flesh in the packages yeah. to maggots found on the riverbank. Yeah. And you can see how they've aged and things. So he was able to pinpoint the ty- the death to the 14th of September. See, I love stuff like that. Based on maggots. That's amazing that they did that. Haven't they got... Um, they've got certain farms um, where they do... I'm sure I watched a programme and they do different decompositions with animals so that they can know what the maggots will look like or what the decay there will be compared to a human, so they can see, oh, we've done this with animals and this would be the same in a human. It's crazy. Yeah, it's cool. It's weird if it's your life. Yeah. But That's someone's job. But it clearly can come in use. Yeah. Um, they also managed to identify the romper suit that had been used to wrap up the heads as being one that belonged to one of the Ruxton children. Then, another good one. I mean, they really worked for this conviction. They did their fucking best. Well, they didn't really need to, surely. I mean, they still... It's tricky because they have to prove that these bodies are these women. And they really... 
they need this type of evidence because yeah. you could have doubt about it. And unless you know it's those women, mm-hmm. yes, he's got blood in his house, but his wife could be off living somewhere. Yeah, We've not you, found her. You've got a good defence. We need to know it's the body. So what they did was some of the body parts had been wrapped in a sheet, a bed sheet. So they were able to match the weave, the thread and yarn counts, the twist of the, the yarn, the class of cotton to the sheets in the Ruxton home. Oh. Great. But as well, the sort of strengthening of the sheets, it should have 26 threads, but there were three short on both the bed sheet they found and his bed sheets at home. So this means that they must have come from the same faulty loom. Oh my goodness. Like it's basically as good as a fingerprint. Wow. Like these are the exact same batch of sheets. Who's using this loom? Got any loom? <laughs> no, fuck off that loom. You'd panic if you're using sheets from that loom. Yeah, is it on sale? Should be. <laughs> so Friday the 13th of Dead March, dear. 1936, the jury returned a guilty verdict. And Dr. Buck Ruxton was sentenced to hang on Tuesday the 12th of May in 1936. So despite 6,000 supporters signing a petition, he was hanged at Strangeways Prison. And despite what we know now, the News of the World reporters back then were men of their word. And they kept their wishes and they only opened his letter after his death. And published it in May 1936. Would you like to know what it said? I've done it! Basically, it said... It was quite short. It's disappointing. It just said... I killed Mrs. Ruxton in a fit of temper because I thought she had been with a man. I was mad at the time. Mary Rogerson was present at the time. I had to kill her. If you're trying to get through a trial, how stupid are you to write that letter? Not even apologetic, not not even a sorry, even just a sorry at the end would still have been, you're not really sorry, are you? But there's nothing there. He just said, I was mad, so I killed her. Not she even, was there, I killed her too. Not even a sozard. Like, even some of the most horrendous murderers will pour out their soul and say how devastated yeah. they are and what monsters they are and how I am pure evil. Like, he just thinks, yeah, I did it. That yeah. killed a guy was like, he feels, I almost get the impression that he's like, I, well, I thought she was a little man and I was angry, so I killed her. Like, yeah. the idea, like, of course you would. Yeah, no remorse. Not really. No. But that's him. Okay. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So, my story is going to be... Fast. Not fast. Oh, <laughs> quick. The murder of Suzanne Kappa. Now, this is going to be pretty graphic. I'm warning you. And the listeners, but mostly you. So, Suzanne was a young girl living in Manchester with her stepfather. She did live with her mother originally, and then social services had removed her. So... Her mother was Elizabeth Dunbar, very closely linked to her life. They obviously lived near each other, but she lived with her stepfather. Social services had been involved. She had an older sister named Michelle, and she was seen as quite a nice girl in the area. She'd babysit for local people in the area. Um, She was quite quiet. She hated school. She was not a schoolgoer, and she would truant quite a lot. Now, this was the 90s when you could kind of get away with it. This is when I was at school. And if you like, if you missed a day, they didn't phone home. Like you just, you just weren't there. So she had really bad attendance. Uh, she's described as quite easily influenced by other people. And she began to spend a lot of time at a woman, Jean Powell's house. So she went to stay. She'd just visit Jean Powell all the time. She'd be around the house all the time. She's like an older woman. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll tell you how she met her. She so, gave her drugs. She, <laughs> she lived in a Victorian terraced house in Moston which is in Manchester, and she'd met her because she'd been hanging out on the street and a boy called Clifford Puck, which this was the 90s. I think that's a weird name for the 90s. What, Clifford? Yeah. I can see his curtain haircut from here. Yeah. Everyone had a curtain haircut. And he was having problems with a girlfriend. Right. They were 16. And he was upset, so she'd gone over and said is everything okay? And they kind of formed a bit of a friendship. And I think that he'd invited her back to his house and his sister was Jean. So she right. met her through that way. I think Jean was fairly young, but um, she had kids. Okay. So Suzanne started going around and instead of going to school, she'd go and babysit for Jean in the day. Okay. Obviously, it's more fun than school, isn't it? Like, like, like at year 11 age, you'd be like, oh, I'm going to look after babies. Well, what's Jean up to? Oh, just other shit. <laughs> like a free living worker, isn't it? So she'd skip school, look after the kids. And she also began working at a CIS building as a cleaner as well. And she'd give Jean all the money. She's got a good work ethic. Yeah. Well, she's I mean, just... maybe school's not for her. She's clearly... It's not like she's dossing, is she? She's got two jobs. 
She's basically becoming Jean's wife. <laughs> Just giving giving her all the money. I'm gonna say she should be getting money for looking after the kid. Yeah. I mean, she was a pushover in a in a nice way. Like she was just bullied into it. Do you think? I think over time, yeah. I think initially she just didn't want to go to school, Mm. and it was kind of like, "Oh, come hang out here." Um, Suzanne's mum confronted Jean, so she knew what was going on, and Jean threatened to burn down her house. Oh, so she is a bit of a piece, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So Jean, I thought Jean was like some cool girl, like looking after her bringing her in that's grooming isn't it shit (laughs) i would have got groomed so bad (laughs) i would have watching three girls i was like i could that would probably have happened to me like i the amount of times that i didn't want to do our friend amanda yeah she'd be like she would have taken us into that world she would have taken it because she used to be like oh can you come like i'd go around to her house and she'd be like oh can you stay over she'd have tried to get me to stay over for about three nights in a row but i'd already pre-warned my dad and say when i phone up and ask to stay over can you say that i can't that's so funny did you do the the same same. no way i text my mum saying amanda's asked me to sleep over i'm gonna call you can you ask. say no? Because she'd be there, wouldn't she, going... Yeah. oh, ringing out, ringing out. And then I, my mum would be prepared to say no. To be fair, my mum didn't let me go to many sleepovers because when I came back, I was tired and grumpy and that was my punishment. I hated sleeping at people's houses. I did. Like, I don't want to be here in the morning. That's they not... never let me eat as much as I want to eat. Being at someone's house with their family... I could be with my own family. In they the actually, morning. They actually love me. Yeah. <laughs> Why would I want to be with yours? I love how he hated it as well. Why didn't we go at the same time? Because that was her thing. She want, She only wanted you to go one at a time. Because yeah. if we'd have gone together, we'd have been like... We'd Could've have been in... Both go home. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And she was always going on about how big her tits were. Like, look at my tits. Oh, yeah. I don't give a shit about your tits. I'll cl- close your eyes while I change my sanitary doll. Yeah. Oh, I'm just going to put a different bra on. Luz, she groomed us so bad. Can you pluck pluck my hair? It's dead greasy. Yes! Oh my god! Oh my god. This is why you've got to speak out about abuse, because if we'd have have spoken to each other, we'd have known what was going on. And we never did! We never had this conversation till now. That's so weird. So, Jean's friend got wind of what was going on. She was called Bernadette McNeely. I mean, these names. Bloody hell. She was 23 as well. Bernadette in the 90s she had three kids she moved into the house was like well hey free babysitting I'm moving in 16 year old's got like 10 kids on the go now Jesus Christ so Suzanne's family knew about Bernadette they thought she's a bit of a piece of work and I think it was a bit like when she gets together with Jean that's bad news so they went around and they at least they can't have more babies together (laughs) no so there was a lot of illegal activity going on and the parents started to get a little bit scared but she refused to stop going around to the house now she's Mm. still living with her stepfather but she'd still go because she's being heavily manipulated and they probably scared her and said come round tomorrow or and you know god knows what and what teenager listens to their parents yeah not one at the home the women were involved in a lot of illegal ways to get money they were dealing drugs they were handling stolen items and it was a really volatile setting they had a lot of arguments with neighbors um they set fire to some of their neighbors stuff just like it was just a really chaotic place today people were in and out all of the time suzanne was still in contact with her mother and sometimes she would go to visit her mother who worked at a day center in the day and just go and stop round, probably to get out of where she was. Yeah. But I think probably when she should have been in school. So her mum 
knew she wasn't going to score. Sometimes she would have really obvious bruises on her face when she went Mm. to see her mother and she would just shrug it off and say, oh, this happened or that happened. Now, Susanna's mother remembers that on one occasion, still age 16, Suzanne turned up at the day centre really upset and she said to her mother, can I I move within with you again? Um, And her mother said... Oh, please say yes. She'd just moved into a flat and she said, in a few weeks, that's fine. Just wait till I get the flat in order and get your room ready. No, just a few weeks. She'll help you tidy. Just a few weeks later, Suzanne was dead. What do you need to organise? I mean, if your kid asks you, upset, if they can move back in with you, just say yes. Just do it. So, following her visit to her mother, Suzanne told her neighbours that Jean and Bernadette were abusing her. So she said she'd been tied up to a bed for four days and assaulted. The neighbours didn't believe her or, quite possibly, they just didn't know what to do about it or how to react. I mean, it's it says... They didn't want their house burned down. Yeah, I mean... It's like with my neighbours, how I'm too scared to tell them to turn the music down. Yeah. Because I've heard her scream at her kids and if she screams like that at people she loves, she is not going to react well to me telling her to turn down R. Kelly's greatest hits. (laughs) It was like torture, honestly. It was literally world's greatest playing on repeat while she screamed about what an evil bitch her eight-year-old child was. And I was like, this is horrendous. Maybe they should get social services. Like how loud does something have to be before you can call the police? And if I call the police, do they have to be like, it was me? Or can they just say, we had a complaint? No, you can do an call from a neighbour. Okay. I'm just... Okay. But you are the only house attached to hers. (laughs) She might put two and two together. She can probably hear us now. The walls are really thin. (laughs) She's gone quiet. She must think we're obsessed with her. She's got a glass against the wall. Okay. So the neighbours didn't believe her and no one reported anything to the police. Now, there must have been social services involved in this situation because, I mean, the school knows she's not there. No, Suzanne's if not there. If she's been removed... But this is the thing, though, isn't it? Because with safeguarding things, with people sharing information, it didn't really kick off. There was yeah. a couple of incidents, 2000, 2001, and then 2000 and... Was it 2001 Victoria Columbia? Or 2004 Victoria Columbia? It wasn't until a few certain specific child deaths that happened that they realised the reason these things are happening is because schools know one thing, police know one thing, social services know another, and no one's telling each other. So loads of safeguarding legislation came into place in the early 2000s. So she's just fallen short of that, where, yeah, social services were involved from the home. Now, school would have known about that and would know to contact them if she wasn't at school. Also, if she... Back then, they wouldn't have done it. She was in sometimes. You'd think if she'd said, oh, well, I'm I'm staying... I'm going around to a a house that isn't my family members a lot. That would ring alarm bells for me as a teacher if I heard someone say that. I guess maybe she didn't say anything. But I'd be suspicious if that happened. So Jean later told the police of this incident she was talking about. She'd been punishing Suzanne for encouraging Jean to sleep with one of her friends. Right. And this was a punishment of four, four days being tied up. So Bernadette and Jean were having sex with a number of people who visited the house, mostly drug dealers. 
or involved in bringing the stolen parts to them that they were selling. Two significant people that were coming in and out of the house was Glyn Powell, Jean's ex-husband. Anthony Dudson, a 16-year-old boy who would just hang out at the house as well. Jean, Bernadette, Glyn and Anthony all had an incident where they caught genital lice. They were all having sex with each other. And this just passed around. They blamed Suzanne, specifically Bernadette, blamed Suzanne because she would sometimes sleep on the floor. She'd stay over there quite a lot or she'd stay in a bed downstairs and Bernadette told everyone that Suzanne had brought in the lice. I think probably because she'd had the lice and she'd spread it around and bullied Suzanne telling the others it was her. Um, Classic smelt it, dealt it situation over there. And she also said that she needed to punish her and she thought that Suzanne had taken a pink duffel coat of hers as well which is a very she's probably doing your favor love yeah <laughs> sounds like I would have thought so so 7th of December 1992 Jean and Bernadette went round to Suzanne's stepfather's where she'd gone for the day and told Suzanne come with us so they told Suzanne to come with them and she said yes I mean I wish she'd said no and they took her to her house here, Anthony, age 16 at this time, held her down and he shaved off all her hair and her <gasps> eyebrows. Presumably a punishment for the lice. Like, you give us lice, this is what we're going to do. So she's completely bald. I mean, imagine how humiliating. The thing as well is, I don't think they'll have had the stamina to do a really good job with that. Because you oh, think no. shaving someone's head is going to be easy. It takes a really long time. It'll have been all patchy and If you're horrid. holding her down and shaving her as well, that's you're not getting... Yeah, it would well, be I tried awful. shaving my friend's head with clippers and I was like, this'll be fun. Five minutes, yeah, I'm bored now. I've only done the tiniest bit. It's not as fun as you think it's going to be. No. They then made Suzanne clean it up and then kicked her and then they beat her with belts and then they suffocated her till she was unconscious and they did this a number of times. They just completely un... I mean, unfathomable abuse locked her in a cupboard and then they left her there for the night hours and hours i mean they went to get her in the morning this is abuse till they went to bed on and off suzanne screamed overnight she was screaming for help and her abusers got really annoyed because it was waking up the children who were sleeping in the house so what they did was they took her to bernadette's old house um so she wouldn't bother the children and then carried on the torture so that's day one of seven days of torture (gasps) that suzanne had Oh my god horrific Suzanne was tied to an upturned bed and this is just all four of them like they're in it together as well they basically did whatever they wanted to her they injected themselves with different types of drugs and then they injected Suzanne with them as well Bernadette was off her face on drugs she was I mean psychotic and then she began to start calling herself Chucky um, from Chucky Chucky Child Play is it Child Play Three, I think, had been out. I'll have to take it from you on this one. I don't watch scary films. Well, I wasn't allowed to watch it because I had... I wasn't even allowed to watch Friends because they were American. There's no <laughs> way I was going to be allowed to watch a horror you film. You weren't allowed to watch Friends. My mum and dad had this weird thing about being like, American TV is going to corrupt you. They began to get more and more sadistic. Bernadette was using this sort of alternative person, whatever you call it, for like saying she's chucky and being sadistic to her. They would all burn Suzanne with their cigarettes. 
They would play rave music loudly, but Bernadette was by far the most sadistic of all. And she would scream, Chucky's coming to play, before each bout of abuse. So Suzanne would be right. terrified of this phrase by, by the end of the seven days. And These are like some Game of Thrones nastiness. Yeah, but she'd also like play um, parts of Chucky's, uh, parts of the film Charles Play 3 on full blast right near her eardrums as well. Oh so she was almost going down. Other people must have heard this because I don't want to sound too bitchy, but judging from what we've heard so far, Bernadette doesn't have a detached house. No. Those couldn't be neighbours. That's what I thought. Suzanne was lying in her own urine and feces this whole time. They weren't taking her out to go to the toilet. Um, So to clean her up because she was dirty, as her abusers put, they put her in a bath and they used concentrated disinfection and scrubbed her skin. And patches of her skin were just coming away from her body. I mean, it's this abuse is immense. And then Clifford Puck, and I'm sorry, it gets worse used pliers to remove two of Suzanne's teeth and he kept those at his house. So this poor girl was subjected to the most awful experience. It's beyond fucked up. That Clifford just rocks up. He's not been involved in anything else. You can imagine, like, they're like, oh, come on, Clifford, come see this. He walks in, sees the scene. Any normal person would be like, this is fucked up. You maybe have to, like... I understand that this situation, you know, like maybe they force you to do something or maybe you have to go along with certain parts or maybe he couldn't say no. Yeah. Like, as in like, he could have left though. Yeah. Like, why pull the teeth and keep them? Yeah. Broad spectrum from keeping your mouth closed to pulling out someone's teeth with pliers and then beyond that, the keeping them as a grim little souvenir. I mean, it did say like in police interviews that some of the others had said oh well Bernadette did seem to go a little bit too far but it's an easy way out afterwards you've all put her in the bath you were all I mean you were all there the the first you all have the lice the first lifeline that I could see of someone who didn't want to get involved in the abuse is David Hill a local 18 year old was in the house as well at one point and then they all went out and they left David Hill alone there now he said that while he, while they were there he heard them talk about dentistry and he'd actually seen Suzanne on the bed as well with blood on her and a cloth over her face but they went home and left him there and she was pleading with him saying please let me go help me escape let me un- untie me let me go and he said no because he was too scared of them but let her go and deal with that later i mean this poor girl and the abuse she's going through i'm surprised she even had the strength to plead the injury she would have had at that point yeah she's ca- she's hardcore during this time anthony also did some work on Suzanne's sister's fiancé's car. So Suzanne's sister's Michelle, she's engaged to this bloke. So Anthony, who's involved, went This is to like work the sickest the episode of Made in Chelsea ever. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're all just fucking each other, know each other. But after Suzanne's death, um, her sister's fiancé publicly spoke out, saying, look, he could have just said there and then, you need to go find Suzanne. Like, this wasn't out for him as well, as an individual, as a human being, just saying to the fiancé go find Suzanne, she needs your help. And he could have got her out within minutes. Yeah, he, he, walked, didn't, he yeah. didn't have to do the rescuing. He could have let someone yeah, else do just it. mentioned it. So that stood against him in court as well. The fact that if he was like, oh, well, I wasn't really involved so much. Well, actually, there's lots of things that you could have been doing. By now, Bernadette McNeely 
Jean Powell, Anthony Dudson and Glyn Powell, along with Clifford Puck and another man called Jeffrey Lee, who is a 27-year-old drug dealer, had all been involved God, in all Suzanne's abuse. They're all the woodwork, aren't they? Yeah. Suzanne's sister had contacted them saying that her mother was about to report Suzanne as a missing person because she hadn't heard of her for this entire time. I think she thought she was safe and she was just hanging out of the house, but as she had been for a while, but she was starting to get worried now. She's starting to think, this isn't right, I want to see my daughter. They decided that they needed to get Suzanne out of the house, get rid of her, because it was going to reflect badly on them. So what they did is they got Suzanne and they forced her into the boot of a stolen car and they drove 15 miles to a lane in Stockport, which is a a city that's very near to Manchester. Um, It was reported that Bernadette was just laughing and joking on the journey as they went. I mean, she is... They're just on drugs most of the time, do you think? I think so. They took Suzanne to an embankment down a little lane, quite far from anything, pushed her onto the ground and they poured petrol all over her. They then tried to light her on fire using a, a lit piece of paper. Didn't work. They resorted to lighting her with a lighter on her back. So she was incredibly badly burnt. Now they just assumed she was dead. Got back in the car. Bernadette singing, burn baby burn. No. Just to kind of reinforce no. the sadism of this woman. And they went to the shops on the way home, got some drinks and went back to the house. I can't deal. This, I think this is one of the worst ones we've done. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of interesting psychologically in that it brings up arguments about, you know, like the nature of evil and the fact that there's, what, like five people now that Six have got involved now. in abuse. Like, so it's Seven almost as if, like, know. they've obviously wanted to do something nasty to people, but they just haven't had the opportunity because as soon as it's there in front of them well up for it I mean that god knows but then also there's those experiments about like like the Stanford prison thing like when you're in a group and you're in control like you join in and you you become more sadistic than you would have ever expected in your day to day life but it's just oh god this one's nasty really nasty but also you've got children in that environment as well god knows what kind of yeah don't wake the children but let them (laughs) it's abuse to make them watch abuse yeah, I mean, she they moved her to another house, but these are the same people. They those children must have been being abused as well. If this this kind of person is their sole carer in the world, I mean, what are they witnessing every day as well? But poor Susanna, she's not even part of that family, and she just ended up in this horrible situation. You just can't imagine this kind of abuse. So Susanna is badass. She managed to stumble, claw her way up that embankment she's had seven days no food no water she's been burned she's still alive she walked a quarter of a mile down the lane to get help i mean it almost makes me want to cry and she was happened upon by barry sutcliffe and his colleagues and they must have thought what the hell because she must have looked like something out of a horror film she's got skin missing she's got hair missing she's i mean she must have yeah looked horrific they went to the nearest house and obviously phoned an ambulance straight away. And Thank God. And say so if they start kicking her as well, no, I no. will just end it now. But I mean, she's still she's still vocalising as but well. But I know she's going to die. Yeah. But the most heartbreaking thing... Tell she, me she dies at 87. That's no. what I'm uh, She was still being so polite. She was so thankful to them for helping her. And she kept saying 
thank you so much i'm sorry for the inconvenience of helping me and he says that particularly to his wife who was there as well um barry Sutcliffe's wife and they spoke about how what a lovely young girl she was despite the state she was in she drank six glasses of water she must have been incredibly dehydrated she was in the most horrific condition and she was taken to hospital where she named her abusers um before she slipped into unconsciousness and she never gained consciousness after that and she died december 18th and it's just so tragic that that she was able to do that last push mm, and not like able to going until yeah, then. And not able to recover. So Suzanne's mother was contacted by police. He said her daughter was hurt and she needed to come to the hospital. And she said that she couldn't even recognise Suzanne, that she was so incredibly like she was covered like in like I guess soot or black or like burnt. She had this this horrific experience seeing a daughter being beside her when she was in a coma a daughter dies and then a massive media frenzy that followed as well and she said it was completely overwhelming but a month after Suzanne's death Jamie Bolger was kidnapped so obviously right. the headlines suddenly I can say because I can't believe I've never heard of this one it's, but yeah, I've heard of the Jamie Bolger it's case. completely overshadowed in the media by what happened to Jamie Bolger yeah which was another horrific and in a similar area as well. So obviously all the local papers mm. are still... They're going to start concentrating on Jamie Bolger. So that meant that it reduced the coverage of Suzanne. Suzanne's mother was told not to attend the first day of the court hearing because it was too graphic and the abuse was too extreme and they didn't want her to experience that. But actually over time she just stopped going anyway. She just couldn't face it anymore. Yeah. And you think... You don't need to know Fair that. enough, yeah. So Bernadette, Glenn, Anthony and Jean all received life imprisonment with the maximum 25 years. Now this is the 90s that it happened. So that is coming They're up. coming out now. It's coming up soon. Um, Anthony was given 18 years. And Jeffrey was given 12 years. And they were under charges of things like false imprisonment rather than murder. And Clifford received 15 years. And the trial lasted 22 days. So, I mean, not an incredible... It's pretty standard, isn't it, of a murder? Jeffrey and Anthony have now been released. So uh-huh. they're out. I think they've been banned from going to Manchester. But Suzanne's mum has been has spoken out about it. She doesn't know where they are. She doesn't know what... If she sees them in the street... Because she knows what it looked like. She doesn't know what she'd do to them. Because how could you just... It'd be hard to just walk past one of them in the street and just keep mm. your cool. So I imagine that she's constantly in fear of coming but across she, them. I mean, there's a lot of them as well, like... Yeah. You could see more. Gina and Bernadette may also... Have, I found an article that said they were going to be given day release and then the mother had queries that and said i'm not happy with that but they also had their sentence reduced by two years just cause just cause did suzanne get an extra two years no so bernadette also interestingly had an affair with a prison governor oh bloody hell while in prison i mean what prisoner governor is gonna want to she's got life you know (laughs) and it was discovered because when they were looking at cells when they're doing the cell toss they found a load of letters between them, which is ridiculous. Wow. Unless it was letters from her to someone else just talking about the affair she was having. But he resigned um, as a result. And what... But he would have known what she was in there for. Yeah, of course he would. A high-profile case. And she was in the wing at the time 
with Rose West and Myra Hindley all in one ring. What's going to get you hard if not a bunch of child murderers? Jesus a qu- Christ. A quadruplet with, a, with those women. So that's the murder of Suzanne Kappa. Horrid. Horrid. Really horrid. Well, it's nothing to say to that. It's ruined my day. Sorry. <laughs> well, thanks for listening yeah. to this episode of Slaughter. Um, definitely more. This was definitely more of a slaughter episode than a slaughter episode, yeah. wasn't it? Got to be done once in a while, but that's what happened. That's what you're listening for. You can. Okay, see, housekeeping. All the usual ways to contact us and tell us that you like us, please. <laughs> Contact us on Twitter. They do. But a little bit more would be great. <laughs> so, Twitter's attention. Twitter, at Slaughter the Pod. You can get us on Facebook. If you type in S apostrophe laughter true crime, you'll get the group. I think Lovely. we're famous enough now that if you just type in S apostrophe laughter, we come up. Yeah, which probably is exciting. All the things. We're on Instagram as well. You can search us up on there. Lucy, I'm a slaughter. And, or they just type in slaughter, we'll come up again. If you want to listen to our Patreon, loads of people have signed up to get their content for Mother Daughter Slaughter. They've been really happy with it, and my mum's been so pleased about that. It's great. It is a good one. It's a really, it's an almost, it's pretty much a full episode, but with Lucy's hilariously, like, unconscious hilarity from yeah. your mum. It's great. So if you want to get the Patreon any content, you can go to Patreon and search for Slaughter there too, and you'll find our group. Um email us slaughterthepodcast at gmail.com and please do rate review and subscribe wherever you listen that really does help us out and we'll make our day lovely hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.